0: Good morning to all of you. Today is Yud Shvat. I'm going to tell you some stories that surround the events of Yud Shvat. Hopefully I'll be able to cover a, a significant portion of the, the episode, of the whole event. The Friedrich Erebe was a very, very sick man physically, extremely ill. As early as 1933 he showed signs of, um, of MS, of multiple sclerosis. And he debilitated. He got weaker and weaker. He um, eventually lost his ability to walk and even almost to talk. The fear speech was almost impossible to comprehend. There were doctors who claimed that it was impossible to explain how he lived for almost two decades of his life. Biologically, how his neshama and Guf stayed together was a miracle. When Drever came to the United States in 1940, he could not walk by himself. He had to be literally held up my grandfather, who lived in my mother's father, who was not a Lubavitcher, met the Friedrich Rebbe at the Grace Hotel in 1940. He didn't understand a word. In other words, his speech was so impaired, was so difficult already then. On top of that, in 1945, the Friedrich Rebbe had a stroke, which set him back even further. He stopped writing and saying Chasidus at that point, but remarkably, he continued to function as a he continued to lead Lubavitch. The man could barely move, but the mind was sharp like that of a young man. The creative skill and the warmth and the the, the life of the Feidikidaber, the passion, the, the joy, the energy of the Feidikidaber didn't subside at all. It's a remarkable thing. It's mummish a remarkable thing. You read his Sikhis, you read his writings, you. You cannot imagine that a human being who had so many reasons to complain could write this way. I heard from somebody that the previous Rebbe would have Fabrengins on occasion. And um, there was a whole set of rules about who was allowed in, who was not allowed in. And a lot of people were not allowed in. They stood on the steps. Leading up to the second floor of 770, which was the previous Rebbe's apartment, where we had a dining room. It was a larger dining room, but it was, after all, a dining room. That when the Hasidim would leave a Fabrengin, and the door would close. As soon as the Hasidim would leave the room, the Freyadik Rebbe would start to hyperventilate. He couldn't catch his breath. And his daughters would stand on either side of him and fan him. In other words, he was so frail, physically, that the stress of being in a room full of people exhausted him. But when, as long as the people were present, he acted like he was fine, everything was normal. His face shone like the sun. My grandfather's on the snagged. And he says to me, I've never seen this in my life. I walked into to the Feast of the Rebbe, his face shone. He he, had, he radiated like the sun. He had a light coming from his face. Mamish. But he was physically exhausted. Mamish exhausted. And he continued to lead Lubavitch. The, war, the year wars, and the years before the war, and the years after the war, the Rebbe's youthfulness, and creativity, and vision, were unbelievable. Were unbelievable. Remarkable is an understatement. The Feitiker once said of himself. Feitiker said about himself: Imagine being 60 years old, broken in body and in spirit, having to start your life over again like a little child. That's how the Rebbe felt when he came to the United States, and he did it. The Rebbe came to America. didn't retire. He went to work to make America into a tamalcomtater, with no resources and almost no people. But he was an amazing visionary, and he was equally an amazing pragmatist. Fili Kheba was both a dreamer and a very practical man. Those two characteristics were woven into him in a godly way, in an infinite way. He was such an idealist, the He so much believed in goodness, it was a sickness. And he was so capable of making things happen. He was such a practical person, it's unbelievable. And these two characteristics made him a rebbe. Not a tzaddik, and not a businessman, a Um And until the moment of his histalkus, that vitality, that youthfulness, that creative strength, never waned. It didn't subside for a moment. As a result, as ill as he was physically, his passing, his histalkus, was a surprise. Here was a man nobody knew what keeps his soul and his body together, who's not just alive on fire. And every person around him was touched and moved by that enthusiasm, by that fire, by that bread, by that power. The winter of that year, the winter of his histalkus, of the year of 1949-1950, a number of things occurred which should have been telltale signs that the Rebbe knew something was going to happen, but you know, as Hasidim should be expected, could be expected of Hasidim, nobody noticed those signs. First of all, there was a tradition in those years, and it continues to this day, to give the Rebbe what's called a pan kwali, a pidyan nefesh. Before Rosh Hashanah, we all give the Rebbe our name and our mother names for a blessing. But who does the Rebbe give the pigeon nefesh to? So the Hasidim gave what's called a pan kwali, a general pigeon where all the Hasidim together, and for reasons that are beyond me, only married people were allowed to sign. In other words, couples, families, would sign on this pidyan nefesh. Well, they're asking the Rebbe to daven on behalf of himself. Opinion nefesh for the Rebbe. And in 1949, Tafshin Yud, when they handed the Rebbe the opinion, the Rebbe said, This year is a year that the individual must be included with the group. Cryptic words. But in hindsight, they were interesting. The idea that a person should never be judged alone, but should be part of a group. Simchas that year was a very happy Simchas by the Fiyodik Rebbe. And also, he behaved in a totally uncharacteristic way. He was very, he spoke to a lot of individual people. He gave unbelievable brachas. He was just in a very, very great mood. And it was a very special Simchas Nobody could have understood that this optimism was actually a sign of an end. Sometime during the course of the winter, he said to one of his daughters, time to give over the public service to somebody else so he said what does that mean? it's time to retire now you can translate that many different ways but this is what he said also during the course of that winter the Rebbe said by Fabrengin he once walked into the previous Rebbe and the previous Rebbe was very thoughtful and when he saw the Rebbe he picked up his head and he said far in the I'm thinking to move to Israel. So the Rabbi said to the but there's so much work to be done in America. We just started. We have so much to do, we have to change the world. So the Filip Rebbe said, Ah, a fine Machava. Ah, was a good thought. In other words, I I am not going there, but I thought about it. And then the Rabbi said by the Fabrengian, when he told over the story, in Maqshava the In his fantasy, in his thought, he was already in Israel. And there is indication to the effect that a number of Bakaji Rabbis shortly before their passing spoke or even made plans to move to Eretz Yisrael. On chat Shvat, the Rebbe had Yerzeit for, I forgot one very interesting thing, which is really amazing. The Friedrich Rebbe continued writing. As limited as he was physically, he continued to write. of Shabbat, the Friday, before he passed away, he wrote letters and signed letters and so forth. And he had a signature. Everybody had a signature. Exactly one year before, Yitzchak, he made a very obvious change in his signature. The Rebbe would sign his name, Yosef Yitzchak. That's how he signed his name. The Yitzchak, the word Yitzchak, the Yud was a dot, a point. he make a little point, and he would go into a big chadik and a chosenek. Beginning Yitzchak the year before his passing, the Yud of Yitzchak, he started to write it like a printed Yud, a square Yud. And eventually, he didn't only make a squit like a safe yud, he would actually color it in, a, a solid yud. And somebody wrote a letter to the Rebbe, to our Rebbe, saying to the Rebbe, how come there was a shinu, because I changed the Rebbe's signature, and the Rebbe said, Lai Mighty. I didn't hear, I don't know. <laughs> and in hindsight, it was it was really amazing. You could see it, they printed it in the Egyos, in the in the introduction to the Yud. You see how the Rebbe's signature evolved. That Mamash, around the time of Yutrat, he changed his chasime, he changed his signature. One year exactly before. you trapped the Rebbe had yardside for his grandmother. Rebbe Sint-Rivke. Yud dimul the Rebbe had for his mother. Rebbe sint shten So the Rebbe gave out a Maimit for that occasion. The Maimed had two parts. The Maimed of course, is called Basi Lagani. The first five chapters were for his mother, grandmother's yardside. The second five chapters were for his mother's yardside. And there was an intent to give out ten more chapters. Five more for the subsequent Purim. And five more for his father's yard site, which would be on Bay's Nissen, the second of this. In other words, this was a mime, basically relegated to the yard site of the previous Rebbe's closest people. His father and his mother and his grandmother, who was probably the second most important influence in his life, after his father was his grandmother, the was Tinnifkin. She raised him, she it raised him. She was a very special woman. And um, so he had yard site. The previous Rebbe did not talk more to Minyan. He couldn't. He was so frail. Every type, time he would meet people, it, it took energy for Physical exertion, and it would exhaust him. Yichidus was very tiring. Yichidus continued. People went into the Fiddikaver, but it was exhausting for him. It was such a Mercedes Netish to see people. You can't imagine. And the the work of Lubavitch, he was raising the money. The Fiddikaver used to raise to cover the whole budget of Lubavitch. And he was involved in the nitty-gritty, all of the plannings, everything that was published from Lubavitch, every and every step that was made by the Rebbe, his son-in-law, or his other son-in-law who ran the yeshiva, the Rebbe was hands-on in all of the issues of Lubavitch, and he was such a frail man, he was such a weak person, it's mummish, not normal, it's impossible to explain, it's absolutely impossible to explain. The Rebbe did not have a But on special occasions, they would invite ten people who would go upstairs to his apartment, They'd make a minion in the hallway, and the Rebbe would sit in his room, and he could hear the davening, he could hear the laning, and so forth. So somebody asked, one of his daughters asked, Is there going to be a minion, It's for your type, for your grandmother, for your mother? And he answered in Yiddish, and if he only knew Yiddish, this would resonate, Meveta Mevetarufgen Me means Me will go up. But Me in Yiddish, can mean different things. It could mean other people, and it could also be oneself. So when she asked her father, "Are you going to be a minion?" His answer was, "People are going to come from downstairs to upstairs." Well, so she, so she thought, as it turned out, the vetarufki meant, "I will ascend." Because there was no minion Shabbos by the Friday Friday night, the Ma'amar Basi Lugani was booked at 7:70, and there was a small typographical error. The word shliṭa, shin, Lamed, yud, tes, aleph, was missing the yud. So the Yom type the youth was was omitted. It was a typo, a typographical error. The next morning it was discovered that it was very very far from a typo. The Fiddikaber had a nurse. Her name was Manya. She pushed it, She nursed him. She took care of him. She came with the Fiddikaber from Europe yet, and to be quite blunt about, it, the Fiddikaber saved her life. Pushed it. and um, she basically was in the house all the time. She pushed it. Took care of the Fiddikaber. At 7.15 in the morning, the Rebbe was sitting on his bed, and he said to his nurse, take me into my office. So she took him into the office, she put him in his chair, in a wheelchair, she wheeled him into the office. The Rebbe sat by his desk, and he looked around the room, he looked, he looked, and he was like nodding, as if he was greeting people, he was nodding and nodding. But 15 minutes, it's a long time to look at books. Now, he was looking around at everything, and the whole room, the his office was wall-to-wall, spot him all around He's nodding and he's nodding and he's nodding. About 15 minutes. And then he says to the nurse, take him back to the bedroom. She puts him back in the wheelchair. She goes back to the bedroom. She puts him down on the bed. And he collapsed. He fell back on the bed. I heard from somebody. I don't know if it's true, but I heard this from somebody. And I say, I don't know if it's true because the person who told me the story had the tendency to imagine things. Um, but he was around in those days. He was certainly there. That when the other fell back on the bed, he pointed at the clock. We know the exact time of this clock. It's ten minutes a day. We <coughs> point out the clock. And there's, there's something, if you read the sikhahs, that we, the, the rabbi marked off their passing to the second. The rabbi Marash actually stopped his clock. The Marash took a pencil, took a piece of, a toothpick, he put it into his pocket watch, that when the hour yeah. handle would reach a certain place it would stop. He gave himself 50 minutes, five zero minutes, he called at each one of his children, told them goodbye, gave them a bracha, Exactly where the hour hand hit that spot was in Stalic. I mean, godly. Get to the second. Heavenly. Mamish. We know the exact time of the Stalakos of each Rebbe and there was an union in it. I mean, according to the Gemara there's an Indian in it. I don't know if that's the reason but this is what this guy told me. The Fidikhev's yarmulke fell off his head so they went to put the yarmulke back on his head and they saw that he was wearing two yarmulkes. The Fidikhev always wore two yarmulkes and nobody knew it. That's amazing. He was such a public person. People were constantly looking at him and there were a number of things which were so public and he didn't want people to see them, and nobody saw. Another thing, which is unbelievably amazing, is that we know that the Fiddi Kedaba had long payas, long locks. They were very neatly tucked under his yarmulke. It was discovered by his tahare after he passed away, and they were cleaning, preparing him for burial. Can you imagine a man such a public figure? People, there are thousands of pictures of the Fiddi Kedaba. People stared at him day and night, and nobody saw that there were pears. And and he's a man whose hands trembled. He was a sick person. He didn't want people to know. And it was so overt. I mean, you can't hide pace. They're right here, you know. It's really amazing. Sorry? Oh, I, when I when I spoke to him last, he told me that I shouldn't tell you. You particularly. <laughs> How am I supposed to know that? What I will tell you is that the Rebbe did not have long pace. The Freedic had long pace. The Rebbe had long pace. I, I have a thought but I have no basis for that. I have a a reason why the foodie would have had long pace. The devil would not have had long pace, but I can't substantiate it, so I won't tell you. You understand yourself, the mood. They called the EMT. They they came with a fire truck, they ran upstairs, with an oxygen tank, and they they worked very hard on the foodie Eber. He was so ill, he was such a frail person. His body afterwards, was his legs were very swollen, and the doctor determined by that examination that he must have had enormous amount of pain at the time that the Nishama left the roof. Around eight thirty-five, the the technicians, the uh, fire department came down from the elevator, and the was standing downstairs, and they say, "New, what happened? What, what's going on? How is he?" And of course, how is this guy supposed to understand the significance of this question? He said, "Gone." And seven seventy turned into a mourner's house. It. The love that Chasidim had for the Filiyad Rebbe, He was a father to them. And his loss was such a devastating blow. It was devastating to the people here. It was devastating to the people overseas, to the people in Israel and Europe. So many people had survived Hitler and Stalin, dreamed about one thing, getting to New York and setting their eyes on the Holy Rebbe. So many people dreamed about just being able to look at the Rebbe. Now the Rebbe was gone. That Shabbos, of course, was surreal. It was not really, nobody lived. People became hysterical. The Rebbe went over to somebody and said to someone to relax. He should calm down. People were getting crazy. The Rebbe paced the whole, way, whole day, spent hours talking to the doctor. And from time to time, he would go upstairs and push it, stare at the of his body, which was covered with a sheet on the bed. Once the Shabbos, Battle Rifkin came, Rabbi Rifkin came, he had been by the Tahara of the of his father, by the Rebbe Rashab. And he, there were a number of great Hasidish Rebbes in New York there was the Amshin of a Rebbe here or not if I guess I'm saying there were two Hasidic Rebbes who were here Ah, Mestamah, the Kapishnitzer who offered their services they knew how you prepared a Rebbe Tzadik for burial and the Rebbe preferred to trust his Hasid as opposed to those two Hasidic Rebbes the Amshin of a Rebbe was a very special person the Kapishnitzer Rebbe was a special person but Bel-Rifkin who was the Obavitcher Chassid had been by the title of the Rebbe Nishmasayin and he repeated what he remembered from that occasion and this is how they did it and they prepared to feed him for burial. The Levi was cold for twelve o'clock. People came in mass. It was freezing that whole winter. That whole Shvat was frigid. It was you, you know you would exhale and your it would freeze. It was so cold. Thousands of people came, and thousands more came after the funeral was over because Labavish makes no eulogy. So a funeral lasts fifteen minutes in Devel, the A funeral of a topic like this would take a whole day, you know and so people came 15 minutes late and how late, this, and it was over, show was over my grandfather told me that he was he was the printer for the Rebbe he, he printed, he prepared the Maimah he prepared the Basilagani. he was standing at the foot of the stairs and the Rebbe was running up and down, up and down making preparations for the funeral, for the Levaya. he sees my grandfather and he says to him there was a histalkus if he passed away, you have to stop printing the Maimah stop type typesetting the Maimah At the end of that week, he sees my grandfather again, he says, No, I have to continue to print, I have to print more. (laughs) A week later. So my Zaydi said to me that in his heart, he felt this was like an interruption and a renewal. It was such a natural thing for him, you know. End of one and the beginning of another, separated by a span of a few days. They went to the Levaya. If you'll remind me one day, I'll be in the mood, nothing else to do. I'll tell you some stories about him. Amshinov Rebbe was a very, very holy man. Mamish a holy man. The Fidikhev had great respect for him. He came to 770 to the funeral. He knew the previous Rebbe from Matzvot. They lived together in the suburb of Russia, Warsaw called Matzvot. So he knew him from Poland. Yet, he spent the war years in Shanghai in China, and he came to New York. And he was the Rebbe loved him, and he loved the Rebbe. It was a real, real, deep and meaningful affection between these two holy men. He came to 770. He was old. He passed away in 1954, just four years after. There was too many people. There was too much going on. So someone suggested to him, you know what? Let's go straight to the cemetery. We'll go to the Beis Hachaim. We'll get there first, and we'll be right there. So they went to the cemetery, and they came to the cemetery. The cemetery used to be empty. I and mean, as a child, my my father used to go to the oh, yeah, We used to play catch. The cemetery was empty. It was a big big field. But when the funeral was buried, there were two or three graves in the whole of Amchaelke. There was nobody there. Debbi's mother was there, and that's it and Michal Tzvarki, but that was it. There was nobody there. It was empty. And they dug a grave. Usually it's done by the cemetery, but I'm sure the Hasidim went and dug a grave themselves. Also, I forgot to mention, the custom was that they took the table, that the feeding can be used, they broke it apart, and from the table they made his casket. From the table they made his casket. This was a tradition. And the Amshin of the Rebbe came to the cemetery. And he was standing and waiting. And the, someone came to tell him that the order is coming, that the previous Sabbath is being carried from the entrance of the cemetery, they were carrying him. And he said, Oy, Oy, Erkimt, they told him, kimt, in Yiddish, he's coming. Oy, Oy, er, Kimt, Oy, Oy, he's coming. And he chalished, he fainted on the spot. He passed out. The, the, the thought of the talks of the Feeric Rebbe, at the In any case, they came back from the funeral, and the Rebbe went into his office. And of course, nobody knew what's going to happen. No. What do you do? How do you react? The, the Mashpia, the famous Mashpeer, Shmuel Witten, all the Bacham looked to him for counsel, and um, they ran to him and said, what should we do? He says, I don't know, go to the Ramash, ask the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, I, 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 I forgot all these details, that nobody should come into 770 without first going to the Mikveh He set up a sentry by the door of 770, he said, do not let anybody in, tell them to go to the Mikveh The Mikveh was open all day long, and uh, the, uh, the Rebbe was telling people how to react to this kind of a situation. To make a long story short, the I went into his office and he closed the door but he left it open a little. He didn't close it all the way. He had torn his kapot. He had torn his shirt. We all did. When the estalkers on the Nasi, everybody tears their kapot. What? Yeah, but the Levi was Sunday. No, what I said about the Mikul was Shabbos morning. I, but this all happened on Sunday. Yeah, I went back a little. The Rebbe had torn his capote, and he would wear this torn jacket a whole week, for seven days. He went into his office, and he sat down on a low, like on a milk box, on a low surface, and he wanted that people should see that he's sitting shivit. Halacha is for a nasi b'tzol, everybody sits shivit. You don't sit for a week; you sit for a half hour. The Rebbe was not a son; don't forget, the Rebbe was a son-in-law. So the people sitting shivit was the wife and the two daughters. The Rebbe wasn't sitting shivit, but the Rebbe was a mourner. And they set up a system. There were two minyanim each day. There were two son-in-laws. Rashaag was the older son-in-law. The Rebbe was the younger son-in-law. And um, they, they davened. The Rashaag davened with the first minion. The Rebbe davened with the second minion. This is how it was. And of course, Chasidim chose their favorite. Those who wanted to go to Rashaag went to Rashaag. Those who wanted to go to was called then the Ramash went to the Ramash. In the beginning, Rashaag probably had the larger minion. The Ramash had the smaller minion. But it didn't take very long for the Minyanim to shrink and to expand. You understand? <laughs> the... Uh, the, the, the shag's me got smaller and the rebbe's being got larger. The morning, Tuesday morning, the third day, the rebbe finishes davening and the rebbe davened in the previous rebbe's room had these big tall candles and the rebbe would spend a lot of time staring at the candles like as if the candles were telling him something. He would look at the candles. Tuesday morning, after davening, the rebbe turned around and he said that the Gemara says that for three days you cry and for seven days you mourn. You eulogize it's not our custom to do eulogy, said the Rebbe. So I'll tell stories. And the Rebbe proceeded to tell many stories about the previous Rebbe. These stories that the Rebbe told that Tuesday morning, and he continued telling stories every day during the week of Shiva, are published in Lukut Tasechas, Volume 2, which I suppose means that they're translated in English also someplace, um, in, in conjunction with Yudshvat, a whole bunch of stories that ever told about the Vyediki Rebbe. Here's what I found out, which is very interesting. There was a Jew whose name was Rabbi Yitzchok Dubav who was in Manchester, a very honorable, very respectable man, very special chosid. And Rabbi Dubov was here for a wedding. His son got married that Thursday night, or Wednesday night, two days before the installers And so his father, Rabbi Yitzhak Dubov was here. He was here by the, by the historicals, he was here by the lavaya. And he went to Davin in the Firdik Abiz And he took turns. He Davin sometimes with the Rav and he was observing them, he was trying to, you know, he had to pick a Rebbe. He was trying to choose a candidate. Was a, and he observed the Rebbe. The one thing that was very clear about the Rebbe was that the Rebbe had no shtick, the rebbe no, didn't play any games, came into the show, put on a thousand children, daven, and left, quickly, everything quick. Um, but there were a few things that he saw about the Rebbe that were odd to him, that he felt that were strange, he, had no, he didn't understand why the Rebbe was doing it. So when the Rebbe started telling stories, he answered his questions. Each story was an answer to a different question. And he didn't tell the his question. And it freaked him out. The Rebbe was pushed at reading his thoughts. He would think something and the Rebbe would tell a story and answer his question. It happened once, it happened twice, it happened three times. He left New York a week later. He went back to London, to England, to Manchester. He met Anash, He met, he uh, the Nemtsov, all of the Shalom, Rebbe And he told them, listen people, I, 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 know, I know who's next. <laughs> and he told them the story. He, I would think something and he would react to it. Like as if it was a perfect, like he had a conversation. He was wondering why the Rebbe, when he said Kaddish, put his hand across his forehead like this. So the Rebbe told the story that the Firik ever said that when you say Kaddish you should uh, say a little Tanya. And the Rebbe used to run his hand across his forehead. And the Rebbe didn't clap his chest. So he said that the Firik Rebbe said that uh, in a house where you don't, anytime you don't say Tachnon, you don't clap Aslachlanu. Uh, and a bunch of things. But he thought something and the Rebbe would respond. Tuesday the Rebbe already went to the Oyo. Two days. Two days after the Tachas Rebbe went to the sea. And I want you to know though most people die... The expression is, you leave them alone. You don't visit the grave of a deceased for a year. Because it's a time of judgment. And they don't need the extra pressure from visitors. Because when we visit the Neshama, the Neshama feels it. And they, they're connecting to us. And they're trying to negotiate stuff up there. They, they can't afford to be spread so thin. So this is a they fit When someone dies, a relative especially, for the first 12 months you don't visit the grave. Afterward, you, you visit, and you can visit as frequently as you want, but because the Shem already in Gan Eden, But to the first ones, the Rebbe went to the Feeding Rebbe two days later. I mean, there was, by the Rebbe the, the Rebbe never looked at the Feeding Rebbe like a human being. There's no judgment, there's no heaven, there's no earth. The Rebbe always would say the Feeding is not there; he's right here. The Rebbe went to Eil, he took along with him the various Lubavitch publications, the talks and tales for little children that the Rebbe gave out every month, and he stood by the Feeding Rebbe's grave and read them cover to cover. Every publication that came out from Lubavitch, the Rebbe would take to the Feitik Rebbe's sion and read it, just like the Feitik Rebbe would look it over during his physical lifetime. He brought it to the Feitik Rebbe and he read it to him. And um, the Rebbe made a habit of visiting the Feitik Rebbe's Eventually, he established a custom. Later on, not that year, but later on, of going, whatever it was, once a month or twice a month. And then in the more recent times, the Rebbe started to go to the oil literally twice a week to the oil of the Feitik Rebbe. And um, and this started a whole new idea, going to the tea and going to the Oyo. At the end of Shiva, the Rebbe published a pamphlet, a Sicha, and he again went to the Oyo. And the Rebbe's message to Hasidim was clear. That Tzadikim, loyazwa, say marisam, Tzadikim, holy men, righteous people, holy people who do not abandon their flock. So certainly, the Rebbe is still the Rebbe, and he's still leading Hasidim, and he's still giving us blessings and connecting us to the Ebesh church, and he's even giving us as counsel. Some of us may feel like we have a hard time getting the counsel, so the Rebbe said, that the Rebbe will find ways of getting us the messages, but the Rebbe is still the Rebbe. And he would make reference to the story in the Tanakh, that after El-Yoah Navi passed away, El-Yoah Navi didn't pass away, he, he ascended upwards, so it says in the Tanakh, a letter came from Elijah, after he passed away, a letter came from el through his Talmud, through his successor, Elisha ben Shafat, Ashiyah Tzakmai Ladei So the Rebbe was saying, the Freedic Rebbe is still the Rebbe, if you have a hard time communicating with him in person, he'll get you the message through different channels. But the idea of the Rebbe being a Rebbe was out of the question. Not out of the question. It wasn't even something that crossed the Rebbe's mind. The Rebbe is the Rebbe Deshver, the Freedic Rebbe is the Rebbe, case closed, end of story, discussion over. Now, Chassidim came to the Rebbe and asked the Rebbe to be Rebbe, in the very beginning, and the Rebbe told him, you guys are crazy the Rebbe's reaction was like incredulous what are you people babies did you forget how important this position is do you want me to be a Rebbe how do I come to this kind of a job Um, but there was one thing interesting about the Rebbe and that is the Rebbe used to go to the oil and talk to the Siddiqui Rebbe I'm talking to you and come back with answers come back with clear decisive you know issues people said to the Rebbe they have problems so he would say, "Okay, so go to the oil." So he said to the Rebbe, "I went to the oil and I read my note. I didn't get an answer. Said, oh, that's the problem. I'll take care of that." <laughs> and the next time the Rebbe would be at the oil, he would come back and tell you, "Did ever communicate with the feeding? Did ever after the stolcus like before the stolcus?" And it was such a natural thing that to the Rebbe it was a surprise that other people don't have those a- avenues of communication, you know. The Rebbe once told his brother-in-law, the Rashag, when after the Rebbe was already Rebbe, that he should go to the oil. So the Rashag said, I go to the oil, nothing happens. He says, oh, if that's the case, then you like I shouldn't go. <laughs> What's the point? You're talking to a stone." But the Rebbe used to go to some Sridik and talk to him like a man talks to his fellow. And here he's saying he's not a Rebbe, he wants no part of being a Rebbe, but he'll be the messenger. You can't hear him, I'll tell you what he said. This was the Rebbe's compromise. I mean, I don't know if you can use the word compromise. This was the Rebbe's approach to this whole uh, situation, to this whole scenario, to this whole issue. And there are many, many stories. Yechen and Gordon asked the Rebbe a question, and the Rebbe said, Go to the Eihel. So he told the Rebbe, We're not blessed over Hasidim, we have a living Rebbe. There was Ayyid, Shia Hecht, the father of the Hecht, Rabbi Yankov Hecht's father, a very chosh of Yid. Uh, uh, he must have been a, a ball of fire, I mean, he had six lions uh, for children, so he must have been a super lion. So he came into the Rebbe and said to the Rebbe, I have a question, I have a bunch of questions. So the Rebbe said to him, two do as I do, go upstairs to the Fedekev's apartment, go into his office, stand opposite his chair and read the letter. So he said to the Rebbe, ich bin a I'm a Galitian Jew. And then Galicia we knew a human being is a Rebbe and not a chair. <laughs> so the Rebbe had no choice, but the Rebbe had to answer him. And what happened now, what followed, was a year of pushing and pulling. The Rebbe started to fabreng very often, much more often than he fabreng before. He did not start fabreng, he began to edit his fabreng to look them over, to prepare them for print. And people said, look, this is a sign that you're being coming at Rebbe, you're editing your talks. He says, no, I would have done it before. My talks are tailor. Anybody's interested enough in my talks to transcribe them and to have me look them over? I would have been very happy to look them over before too. I'm just transcribing the talks. But all the Sikhs had one message. Connect yourself to the Fidic Rebbe, he's at Rebbe. And because there was a histalkus, so the Fidic Rebbe is rising. We have to ascend with him higher and higher so we shouldn't lose our connection. At the same time, the Rebbe started to do, the, continue doing the Fidik work. The work of the Americans continued. And um, like I said, if people said that they don't understand the and language, they would be very, very happy to help him out. Within weeks of the Fidik Eber's the Rebbe called, wrote a letter to Rabbi Michal Lipsker, the king of Rukh. He was living in France at the time and the Rebbe writes to him that I had discussed with the previous Rebbe in the weeks leading to the Yid about the idea of opening up an outpost of Lubavitch in Durham, in, in southern Africa, in North Africa, in Morocco. And we discussed you, but there was no time, so I'm writing you a letter informing you that the Fiti had selected you for this shlichus. And the Rebbe sent him to Morocco. And this started what was probably the most successful Lubavitch endeavor in the last half century, although most of you don't even know it existed. Because today it's basically dormant. After Israel became a state, Anti-Semitism in Arab lines accelerated, but it didn't absolutely bust and become mamish, murderous till after the six-day war. So in all of these countries, you had hundreds of thousands of Jews in Morocco, Tunisia, Algeria, Egypt, Iraq, uh, Iran, Syria, Jordan, had hundreds of thousands of Jews all the five Jews, millions of Jews who were living on eggshells. They had ancient traditions, they'd been living in these places forever, they didn't want to leave, but the the, the, the the simmering hatred to the Jews because of the establishment of the State of Israel, the displacement of the Arabs, was was palpable. And eventually they all left, I mean there's almost no Jews in this country, Morocco has less than 5,000 people, they had over half a million Jews in 1950, and the same can be true for Algeria and Tunisia and, and so forth. The Rebbe sent up to those countries in what turned out to be a brilliant, preemptive move. Because Saddam don't have yeshivas. Saddam came to the West. They came to Canada, they came to France, they came to Israel, and they assimilated. Half a million Moroccan Jews almost completely would have lost their identity as Jews. If not for the fact that they ever sent Shluchim to Morocco and established yeshivas in Morocco. And the, the, the structure of those yeshivas was... That the Moroccans became the teachers. They taught they had a base of safe, and the Maidim. They established a whole network of schools and for the first time inside the countries there were yeshivas, there was organized learning. And the shluchim were teaching teachers. And they established institutions of learning for hundreds of thousands of people all over Morocco and in other places. When they when there was the Exodus and they came to the West, so they they already had a an Ashkenazi taste of yeshiva life and so forth. And the it is is the Shluchim in France and in Canada, picked them up and continued the shlichas that had been started in Morocco and saved, for the protection of Yiddishkeit, hundreds of thousands of neshamas, mamish. And this was true in, 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 in France and in Canada and wherever countries where the Sardam went and also in Israel. It was an amazing, an amazing preemptive, it was a brilliant preemptive move. There are still shluchim in Morocco, there are still shluchim in Tunis, in Tunisia. There's no, I don't think there's were anymore in Algeria. There's certainly no shleikh in Egypt, um, but there were. And um, But now there's no Jews. The Moroccan king is very protective of his Jews because there's a tradition in the royal family that the kings gave over from fathers to son that as long as you'll be nice to the Jews, this, the reign will last. The, uh, the dynasty will continue. So the Moroccan king is always walking on eggshells because he has to be nice to the Jews and he has to officially hate Jews because he's an Arab. He's one of the members of the Arab League. And he gets into a lot of trouble for it, but he's really... He corresponded with the Rebbe, the king of Morocco, beautiful correspondence, very warm. Um, and this all started. Mammish, weeks after the Fideka was in the style like the Rebbe sent the Cholipska to Morocco. And it was followed up by several dozen young to travel there to spread Yiddishkeit. Young people, old people, amazing. The only thing they didn't have was money. They were living in conditions that were from like the 1600s, <laughs> as opposed to the... <laughs> but that's another story. At first... When people suggested to the Rebbe, he become a Rebbe, he, he, he laughed. He said, ridiculous. The Rebbe got a letter from somebody in which he wrote to the Rebbe the idea of him becoming a Rebbe. So he turns to his secretary. The Rebbe turns to his secretary. Rabbi Chalakot says, you hear Amishagas, a craziness. This, this Meshuggah writes me a letter that I should be a Rebbe. Who, who could imagine? Mem, Schneerson, a Rebbe. He says his name, Schneerson, a Rebbe. So Rabbi Chalakot says to the Rebbe, I, I, I agree with him. So the Rebbe said, So you're also out of your mind. <laughs> the Rebbe had a good friend, his name was Rabbi Baumgarten, Bello Baumgarten, who was later in Argentina. Then if any of you Argentinians, you've heard his name. He was a bunch of friend of the Rebbe's. He special I know a Satner Yid from the organization that I volunteered for, who said to me, Yid is given at He knew him from from uh, Argentina he says he was at Sadi, this Baumgarten and he was the Rebbe's buddy they were chums they loved each other he was an extremely proactive doer and a happy guy and perfect for the Rebbe a doer and a happy it's all you need the Rebbe's combination and he meets the Rebbe and the Rebbe says and he puts his hand out and at Rebbe you don't, have, you don't shake a hand in Chabad in other circles you can shake a hand and he stands there with his hands down. The Rebbe, it was a very uncomfortable moment. And the Rebbe says, Ah! And those are from those crazy Meshigenes who, who got to, like, these delusions. This was the initial stage. At a certain point it actually upset the Rebbe. The Rebbe said, that people don't stop and he's going to disappear, he's going to run away and hide, you're never going to be able to find him. The day after Yut Shvat, one day after the Fidikah passed away, Hasidim all over the world gathered. Those who were able to make it to the Levaya obviously came to the funeral. Those who could not gathered. One of the places the Hasidim gathered was in Israel. They gathered in, in Tel Aviv, I think it was called Nachas bin Yamin. All the of Hasidim from all over Israel came there. Now understand, it's hard to understand, but try to understand. Most of these Jews were immigrants who had just moved to Israel a year before, two years before they'd become farmers. They were living very simple, primitive, impoverished lives. They had one dream. It's all they wanted to see the Rebbe these were the Russians whose fathers and brothers were exterminated by Stalin like cockroaches and they had survived they came to Israel the Friedrich Rebbe established Kachabad which is also such a foresight such a genius it was an old old man the Friedrich Rebbe at the time but his his mind was sharp as a razor and they gathered in, in this shul for an and there were a lot of Choshev and Abonim and Choshev and who spoke. People cried and fainted. It was a very, very emotional event. At that occasion, a Jew by the name of Avram Parish stands up. Avram Parish lived in Israel. But he had come to the United States in 1939 for purposes of Parnassah, to make a living for his family. And the war broke out. So he was stuck in America. Then the Rebbe arrived. And he didn't want to leave. The war ended. He stayed for another few years till the Rebbe him, kicked him out of seven Sent him, go home. He had a wife and children who were getting married in his absence. One child after another were getting married. He was in New York. He was a big chassid. A very big chassid. He loved the free like a, like a son. And he worked hand in hand with the Rebbe. He knew the Rebbe well. And he and the Rebbe were friends. He stands up. One day after Chat, he stands up and he says to the Hasid, my brothers, he says, today is a very painful day, obviously. It's a very emotional time. But I want you all to know, Lubavitch has a Rebbe. And he proceeds to describe to them the Rebbe, the Ramash, who was the last known of the two Salimists. People were thinking that Shag would be the Rebbe. And he describes the Rebbe's personality. He says, I sat in the same room with this man for nine years. I never did a stitch of work. I would sit and stare at him. He says, I would sit and stare at him. He's a gannet he says. He's a thief. He fools the world. He wants people to think he's a common man, but I'm telling you, there's nothing common about him. He's a, he's a holy, lofty, exalted man. He described it ever as he perceived it ever. And this was the beginning. And there was all kinds of stuff going on in Israel and in Europe and so forth. Who's going to be the next at ever? In the beginning, there were two candidates, but within a short time, it became more and more apparent. There was only one that one candidate is refusing the job. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want to be Rebbe. This Avram Parish wrote a letter to the Rebbe after Yutrat in which he addresses the Rebbe as Kweid Kedushas Admur Shlita. He refers to the Rebbe as Rebbe. And I bet you that he put in Malach HaMashiach also. <laughs> he, 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 was, he was a Mashiachist from 1943. He was a Mashiachist. He probably wrote in the letter Kweid Zamur Malach HaMashiach Shlita. The Rebbe gets the letter, and the Rebbe writes him back, I got your letter, and you refer to the Friyadike Rebbe with the title Shlita, as he writes to him, you refer to the Friyadike Rebbe with the title Shlita, he says, it's a good idea, because Taka, the Friyadike Rebbe is still alive. And the Rebbe in New York, repeated by the Fabrenian publicly, he said, I got a letter from Ayyid, and he writes about the Friyadike Rebbe Shlita. And it's, I agree with him. <laughs> he didn't write about Tafidik Rebbe Shlita. <laughs> he wrote about the Rebbe Shlita. The Rebbe said, that it's, it's correct to say about the Feodic Rebbe Shlita because the Tafidik Rebbe is alive. And the Rebbe would speak about this again and again. But Avraham Parish was only a first. One by one, Hasidim started to suggest to the Rebbe that maybe he should be a Rebbe he should take the position and so forth. And uh, at first, the Rebbe couldn't believe people were even thinking in such terms. And later on, other things started to happen. At a certain point during the course of that year, they never called a meeting of Labavachers and he asked that none of the Bacham should be there, because it's none of their business, but the Bacham were there anyway. <laughs> and he announced, he said like this, said, listen, America's at that time, in 1950, had a budget, an annual budget of $50,000. $50,000 would probably be today, I would say, $5 million. It's a big budget, but in those days it was a lot of money. And the Rebbe said, the Freedic Rebbe used to raise the money himself for this budget. And he said, the work of the Rebbe Deshver, the work of the Freedic Rebbe will go on. If you'll help me raise the money, you are asking me, the Rebbe said, I should do more and more things. I'm willing. But I want you to know that above all else, my first priority is to do what I was given a mandate to do by the Rebbe Deshver, which is to develop the Merkaz and the chinach, the outreach branch of Lubavitch. If you'll help me, I'll have more time for other things. If you won't help me, I'll raise the money myself. But other things are going to suffer. <laughs> Rabbi Kazanovsky stood up, and he screamed and he shouted that we're going to help the Rebbe. The Rebbe's not going to have to worry. Yelkan writes, they all talked about how they can help the Rebbe. Not one penny was raised by that meeting, not a nickel. See, the status quo remained. And so it went. One of the excuses that Rebbe would frequently give is that he had no head on. The previous Ebbe never told him that he should become a Rebbe. And if he was supposed to be at Rebbe, the previous Rebbe would have told him. And the Rebbe didn't make a move without the previous Rebbe. Now, I want you to understand the dynamics of this commentary. But what I'm about to tell you was conjecture. It's my interpretation of the facts, not the facts themselves, so keep this in mind. The Rebbe's mother knew that Rebbe was going to be at Rebbe. The Rebbe's mother knew and she was living on Presence, in Crown how did the Rebbe's mother know that going to be a Rebbe? Because her husband told her that Rebbe was going to be discussed in the Fidic Rebbe. And there's a story which I've told you probably more than once, right? I've told you this story many times. That before the Rebbe was engaged to the Rebbe's, to the Fidic Rebbe's daughter, the Rebbe's mother, Rebbe's Hannah, went specially to the Fidic Rebbe's house and spent a few weeks in the house checking out the situation, you know, deciding if the food was kosher and so forth. They used to call it in those days unto cooking the color, to examine the color. To, you know, today a boy and a girl go out on a date, in those days they actually did the logical thing, a sister would examine the Kala, what does a boy know about a girl, (laughs) except that it's a girl, (laughs) and this is how it was, a sister or a mother would go to the house of the Kala, and she would spend a few weeks, not a few days, a few weeks, after a few weeks in the Rebbe's house, the Rebbe Sanchanah went into the Friyadike Rebbe, and she says to the Friyadike Rebbe, my husband instructed me that before I leave, I must ask you, must go into you and ask you for a dowry. For money for a dowry. You have a chasam like this, you gotta deal it up, you gotta pay. So the Filiq Rebbe said, I have no money. So she said to the Filiq grab I never meant money. I meant Rabbe I meant succession. The Rebbe wasn't even engaged. I want to promise that the Rebbe will succeed you. And the Filiq Rebbe agreed. So she said, I want to have it in writing. So the Fidik Rebbe said, I cannot give it to you in writing, but quote, Hasidim will understand themselves, as the Fidik Rebbe said. How do I know this story? Because it was a Jew, whose name was Chaim Lieberman, who was the previous Rebbe's secretary, who repeated the story shortly before he died. He was a little bit disenfranchised from the Rebbe because of the whole fascist Sfadim. But there was a Jew who would visit him. And he told the story shortly before he died. He was in the house at the time, the story, it's a true story. because He was in the home of the previous Rebbe at the time the story took place. And he repeated the story. It's a true story. And the Rebbe doesn't know he's supposed to be a Rebbe. I'm asking you. The Rebbe's father was so proud of the Rebbe. Wherever he went, he talked about him. And he used to tell people, my son is the previous Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe's son-in-law, and the next Lubavitcher Rebbe. Hasidim didn't like that commentary at all. It made him very nervous. But that's, So the Rebbe's mother knew full well that it was in the cards for the Rebbe to be a Rebbe. I suspect, strongly, that the Rebbe knew about it too. But the Rebbe didn't care. The Rebbe didn't care because his father's idea of him being a Rebbe was as a descendant of the Tzemach He was the fifth generation of Tzemach tzedek. tzedek. said that the fifth generation would come back. Shine. If the Rebbe was going to be a Rebbe, it wasn't going to be the Tzemach Tzedek. It was going to be his Rebbe. The Rebbe the Shre, the Firi Dikarebbe He was the next link in the Firi Rebbe's chain, not in the chain. So what, this is my interpretation of the effect. So when Hasidim would ask him, but being a Rebbe, he would say, "I didn't. The Rebbe didn't tell me." Again, I suspect that he had other sources. The Rebbe knew he was a Rebbe. Are we kidding? But he, he wasn't told. The Rebbe kept on saying that he has no idea. He wasn't instructed. So the Hasidim went to the oil, unlike Boeimer of 1950 tough Yud. And they uh, told the Friedrich Rebbe that the Rebbe keeps on saying that he has no instructions. That same day, the Rebbe was by the Ayho, like Bohemian. He never used that excuse again. He never used that. He had other excuses, but that excuse he never used. And, and so it went. As time went on, more and more people came to 770. People started to hear about the Rebbe, do miracles from the Rebbe, do a Zulu from the Rebbe. And above all else, the Rebbe was giving answers. He asked a question, he got an answer. They went to the Ayahu, he gave you an answer. But he's not a Rebbe, the Freeric Rebbe is the Rebbe. Shavuus, Rebbe Fabrengt, and Rabbi Simpson said to the Rebbe, maybe the Rebbe should say Hasidus. And the Rebbe's answer was, it doesn't have to be now, it could be on a different occasion also. Which was also a very positive sign. So many Hasidus were very nervous, very concerned, because the Rebbe was saying officially he's not going to be a Rebbe. The previous Rebbe is still the Rebbe. He he doesn't mind bringing the messages to and from the Ayel, but the Rebbe is the Freeric Rebbe, the Rebbe the Shverd. But there were telltale signs, things were changing. In those days, people used to come and talk to the Rebbe. Even before the Fiddhartha passed away, the Rebbe was an engaging man, an interesting man, and a very informed man, a very wise and knowledgeable person. People would come to the Rebbe to discuss issues. Some people came to discuss Teira, some people came to discuss problems, whether they were business, or familial, or social, or religious. And the Rebbe would talk to everybody, he was a nice man after the fear that ever passed away, the volume of people became so accelerated that it became unbearable. The Rebbe sat in his office, the same office he has now, people would knock on the door, they wouldn't even wait for permission, and they would walk in. So the Rebbe's working on a project, someone interrupts him, the Rebbe stops what he's doing, talks to that person, the person leaves, the Rebbe goes back to... Two minutes later, somebody comes back It was door. for the whole day like this, They couldn't get anything done. So at the end of the year, Rosh Hashanah time, the Rebbe made an announcement that simply because the Ishmael to work, he's making himself available to talk to people three nights a week, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, at 8 o'clock. Anybody who wants can come talk, you can queue up in line, and I'll talk to you. This was the beginning of Yechidahs, which would continue for 25 years, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And in the later years, the Zereb would sit in till till 6, 7 in the morning, uh, talking to people. It started around the end of the year of Tavshin Yud, 1950. Before, the Rebbe was already officially a Not my modern, but... Brilliant. Such creative ideas. We have some of it in the Rebbe's diary. The Rebbe's that have been published. Yeah. He never said my modern, but he, he was very creative. The Rebbe never repeated the same thing twice. Always something new, something different. There was a Jew whose name was Rabbi ben Rabbi Rachmil Ben-Yaminson. He was an old man with was and a Zlob-Nerov, he was living in Montreal, he came to New York, and they took a minion with, the, with him to the oil. My Zaidi Shusterman was a Jlobenus, he was part of that minion, for Cha they went to the Fidik Rebbe and they, taught, they left a note that the Fidik Rebbe should try to affect that the Rebbe should be of the Messias. He went into the Rebbe and he said to the Rebbe this, he said, us old Chassidim will manage, but the younger, the younger, what's going to be with the youth, with the young people? And the Rebbe said to him, I never said the youth to the youth, no. And that is a fact. When Bachem came into the Rebbe, almost from the very beginning, the Rebbe greeted them like yechidis. There was a Jew who passed away that long ago. There was a Meshad Ebert of He came from France in the winter of Tavshin Yenalef, the end of 1950, and he walked into the Rebbe's room. He knocked on the door and walked in to say, hello, when he walked in, the Rebbe sees him, and says, Ah, Dubizda, you're here? Shalom Aleichem. He puts his hand out, and he keeps his hands down, and he says to the Rebbe, I came to the Rebbe as a Rebbe. So he put on his hat, put on his gartel, and he changed seats. He moved to a different chair, and the Rebbe was makablam to Yechidus. In other words, the young people, the Rebbe already accepted to be their Rebbe from the beginning. It was just the elder Hasidim that he wouldn't um, accept after the ever passed away. Yeah, I I I forgot to mention this, I just want to mention this going backwards a little bit. The Rebbe used to wear a gray hat and a gray suit, as you can see from the photos. When the ever passed away, he started to wear a hat and a kapot, a black hat and a kapot. He looked more like a rabbi, you know what I'm saying? After the shalashim were over, he went back to the suit, to the gray suit. He kept the black hat, and there are actually some pictures that were recently found of this. So Rabbi Shmuel Levitin, one of the Chassidim, said to the Rebbe that it's unbecoming of a Rebbe to wear a suit. And maybe now that the Rebbe is a Rebbe, you should put on a kapot. So the Rebbe said to him, if I'm a Rebbe, I can figure out myself what I need to do. And if I'm not a Rebbe, what I do is none of your business. She says, and the Rebbe wore this gray suit with the black hat until Yud Shvat, the following year. Until he became a Rebbe officially. There's so much more to tell. I'm missing a lot. But okay, let's continue. The the shaifa that year was blown by Rabbi Yitzchak. Simchas Taylor, if I'm not mistaken, Simchas Taylor that year, when they called up the Rebbe to the Taylor, they called him up as Adeneinu (laughs) Mereinu Virabeinu. He wasn't getting a Rebbe, they called him Yamayd Adeneinu Mereinu Virabeinu, but Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. And the Rebbe went. The Rebbe didn't show any outward signs of something being unusual, but when he was reading the mafta, he was crying. Let's start with Simcha's Taylor, tough you know, to call the Rabbah the name That Fabreng, in Simcha's Tayra, something happened, which was a very, very clear sign that of, of a future Rabistra. He announced that he wants that every chassid in preparation for Yujvat should deliver a million, ten Jews, ten yidin, whom they've affected in thought, in speech, and in action, or in one of the three to make an improvement in matters of Yiddish. Every chassid should deliver to the rebbe a ten people whom they've advanced in Yiddishkeit through their influence. And the rebbe said, everybody should prepare their minion for Yiddishkeit. and he wants to have the lists. He's going to take it to the you know, and he said, you could do it. You'll work hard. You'll succeed. You'll be able to do it. Most chassidim in those days, nineteen fifty, to affect a person's Yiddishkeit, believed it wasn't going to happen. They didn't even try, and some tried. Rebbe David Araskin lived really well related how he went, he's going to a barber shop and harassed the guy, Harry push it, bother him, he should start putting on film, he needed his minion <laughs> there was ten people, and the rumor has it that the Rebbe had a minion of his own, the had ten people who himself was also a makarov when Yudas Kislev came and many of the Hasidim had not delivered their minion he said, okay, I'll give you an extension till you everybody should see that by you you should deliver a minion that Yudas Kislev, wait before I get Sometime sometimes during the winter, Chabad and Israel had a problem. They were working over their, um, their, some kind of legal documents, some kind of official papers, and they needed to write in, you know, officers, president, vice president, treasuries, treasurers, secretary, and so forth. In the previous file, the previous time they filed these papers, the previous level was obviously the president. So they asked the level whom they should put as president. And the Rebbe said they should put his name. Yudas Kislev that year, the Rebbe was not yet officially a Rebbe, the Rebbe wrote a letter, lechol Ha'admoyedim Shlita. It's the only time the Rebbe ever did it. To all the Rebbes, may you live and be well. Lechol Ha'admoyedim Shlita. To all the Rebbes all over the world. And the message, the letter said, that all Hasidish Rebbes should celebrate Yudas Kislev. In Israeli newspapers, they published a copy of this letter. And it was headed, it was titled, Mikhtav Kedushas Admur Shlita in It's a letter from the Rebbe Shlita in Lubavitch. In other words, the Rebbe was not officially Rebbe, but the Rebbe allowed them to put this ad in the Israeli paper that the Rebbe, Rebbe Shlita Now the story with this letter is the following. The Belzerov, the great and holy Belzerov Rebbe Belzer. You can read about him in English. He was a very holy, 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 holy man. And the Rebbe met him once in Berlin. He was a very heilig He also got a letter from the Rebbe, Le Cholad Shlit. So his secretary, who used to read for him because he was blind, comes into the Belzerov, the Heilige Belzer. He says, Rebbe, a young, new Rebbe from America, strike one, strike two, strike three, young, new America, <laughs> is sending the Rebbe a letter with instructions. So he should make, he's telling the Rebbe, the Belzerov, how to be a Rebbe in and the Belzerov did not think it was funny at all. The Belzerov said to this secretary of his, Anshul Anshul, whatever his name was, take it back. fire. You're playing with fire. A different version I heard from the Tversky, Nachman Tversky, then he said, 9-9, elephant the No, no, you're wrong. He's amongst the biggest at Ebis. The Rebbe wasn't even at Ebba yet. The Belzerov shook his hand in 1931, first taste. But these were the kinds of people who didn't need too much communication to get to know each other. Not a story. the Rebbe also was giving everybody shalom, with a towel. And, when the, and they had his head down, when the Rebbe came by, he picked up and said, look, at the Rebbe took off the towel, and he shook his hand and put the towel back on. They didn't exchange a word, but they knew each other. That, that's all these people needed, this was enough. Sadiqim. In any case, in any case, as he got closer and closer to the huge Shvat, from more and more places, more and more Hasidim were writing letters asking the Rebbe to become the Rebbe the Nassib Yisrael, their Rebbe. And the letters started to arrive in New York. Chavdala Tevis, a delegation of Hasidim, brought into the Rebbe a whole stack of such letters and they handed it and they presented it to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said in Yiddish, Das what is it? And then he took a look at it and he pushed it. He started to sob. The Rebbe started to cry. And he said, This has nothing to do with me. And the Rebbe is standing sitting there crying, sobbing, and the Hasidim are standing. So finally the Rebbe asked if they would leave the room. They're standing and crying. That same day, Lubavitch Hasidim put an ad in the local paper, in the American, in the New York newspaper, they called the Morgan Journal, in which they announced that Lubavitch Hasidim all over the world are an, accepting as Rebbe, and there's going to be a big coronation of the Rebbe on Yudshvat. Some Chochematik, some genius, ran into the Rebbe with this paper and said, Look, the Chassidim put in the paper that you're becoming a Rebbe. So the Rebbe called in his secretary, Rabbi Chavikov, and said to him, You must put in the paper a denial. It's not true. Chavikov called in the and he said, Listen, I'm the Rebbe's secretary. I have a job to do it. I'm going to do it. You have two hours. After that, I'm putting the ad in the paper. So they ran into the Rebbe. And they begged, and they cried, and they pleaded, and they tried every trick in the book. And the is saying, you had no right to do this. So finally, Rab Shmuel of Witness said, the Rebbe, we didn't put in the paper that you agreed to be a Rebbe. We put in the paper that we're making you into Rebbe. You can't deny that, because it's not up to you, it's up to us. The denial was never printed. That same day, another very interesting event occurred. Very interesting event. There was a Jew named Rabbi Kazanovsky, Shlima Aaron Kazanovsky. Kazanovsky was a Hasidic Shayid who did a lot for the Rebbe a lot for the previous Rebbe a lot for the Rebbe he was an activist he was a successful activist this Rebbe Kazunovsky had a dream in his dream he sees the three Rebbe's apartment upstairs in 770 and he sees the three Rebbe sitting at the head of the table and all the Hasidim are sitting around and everyone is depressed. Sad. And the Fidikev turns to him in his dream and says to him, why is everybody so sad? So he says to the Rebbe, because you abandoned us, you left us. So the Rebbe says, but I left you my son-in-law and he says the Rebbe's name. So Rabbi Kazinowski says, but he keeps on saying that we have to be it to you or that you're still the Rebbe. And he's not a Rebbe. So in his dream, he sees the Fidikev turn to the Rebbe, to his left, and say these words, Matitake loy. samir. Why do you keep on screaming? People should be attached to me. David of Ne zok to Yidden. Vithol v'ol kengem Mashiach. Speak chasidus to the Jewish people, and they'll go to greet Mashiach. Kazanovsky wakes up in the morning. The dream is as vivid as if it happened in real life. He runs to seven seven, He goes into the Rebbe. Tells the Rebbe the dream. The Rebbe hears him out. And the Rebbe says, you must have been fantasizing about it during the day because that dream isn't true. Had it been true, I would have also been there. I also would have felt it. And I don't remember such a dream, so it didn't happen. And so it went. Shvat, the Shodish Shvat, Rebbe wrote a letter in which he instructed people how to behave on a yard site. This also was a telltale sign that it was only a matter of time before the Rebbe M'Kabod in the series. Finally, a couple of days before your chat let's say Monday before your chat there was an official ad in the Yiddish paper announcing... That Wednesday is going to be the first night of the Feudike Rebbe. Hasidim are going to go to the Oyhal and they're going to have a minion with their new Rebbe. And this ad was put in Takabai the America. This was an official acceptance of the Rebbe, of being the Rebbe. Tuesday night was the tight. They went upstairs to the Friedrich Rebbe's apartment and they sat around and they sang Naguna. Nobody said much that a shag, the De Rebbe's competition, it was, it was a very uncomfortable scenario. He wouldn't come downstairs to Fabrengen until the following tishe, until six months later. There was a, miembar, a second Meyiff Maidiv, whatever it was, and then the next morning, the Rebbe shaches for the Ahmed. and after shaches they got on buses, they went to the Oyal. The Fabrenga was called for 8.30 at night. And... Um, 770 is filled up with people. Hundreds of people came. How many people were by the Fabreng, and the Rebbe's coronation? About 300. But the 770 was packed, you know. The Asagas, you know, our average Shabbos today, you have a lot more than 300 people in 770. But by those days, it was like, wow. The room wasn't very big. It was full of people. And a lot of people came as Chassidim. People came as well-wishers. And people, pushed came out of curiosity. One such man was Rabbi Mesker was lying. He was start. He was learning in Yeshiva University. Yeshiva was al and his friends were saying, "You heard that the, the Hasidim making a Rebbe Let's go check it out. See what happens." You know. So they went us, as, as observers, as uh, as sightseers. He says, "I came and I never left. He came that first Fabbrieng and I didn't leave. Fabrenga so was called for 8:30. The Rebbe showed up 20 after nine. The Rebbe was never late to anything. It was always on time." For so the Rebbe bin Light was very, very novel. Where was he? He was with his mother. The Rebbe spent several hours that afternoon with his mother, and he was delayed by these conversations. What they discussed, nobody knows, but I can assure you, we all wish we knew, because <laughs> they weren't talking about the weather, about wallpaper. They probably were discussing, and it's only a probably, the Rebbe's mother had all kinds of information from the Rebbe's father about this position because it was a tradition in the Rebbe's father's family that there would be a Rebbe coming from that line, from that chain, from that link, from that branch. And the Rebbe came to Fabrengin. And he Fabrenged. But the Rebbe didn't beat around the bush. If he's a Rebbe, he's a Rebbe. And he started to talk like a Rebbe talk. He said in the beginning of the Fabrengen that in America you're taking a new job, you have to make a statement, that have made make an official statement. And he Fabrenged. But no Hasidus. No Maimon. 20 to 11, well over an hour into the Pabrengin one of the elder Chassidim, his name was Rabbi Sander Nemtsov, stood up on the table an old Chassid, Rabbi Sander Nemtsov, stood up on the table and he said The Seichas are wonderful The Seichas are wonderful He said, The Seichas are wonderful, but we want the Rebbe should say Chassidus The Rebbe should be kind enough and say, I'm Maimler. So the Rebbe smiled and told him to get down to the table the Rebbe came to the Fabrengin with the Basi Came with the, with the pamphlets to the Fabrengin. It was sitting on the, tab- the Rebbe's table closed like this here. And the Rebbe opened it and he looked inside and he said, in the Maimir that the Friedrich Rebbe gave out for his histalkus, he begins, Chat, he begins Basi And the Rebbe is looking inside. Now, girls, I- I'm not very good at drama, but The Rebbe said the statement, the mimeh that the previous Rebbe gave out for his histalkers, Yud Shvat, he begins, and then the Rebbe breathes. There's a pause. The pause lasts three seconds, it feels like a million years. There's a tape, there's an audio, you have to hear this. And then you hear, and there's another pause. But this second pause is very noisy, because you hear the noise in the 770. People are getting up, it was such an exciting moment. The Rebbe started to say, see this? And the Rebbe zalked, the Rebbe made the Shabbat for Rebbe started saying the Maimah. At first, it was very, very hard for the Rebbe to say the Maimah. He kept on stopping and breathing and sighing. But as the Maimah progressed, he became more comfortable, the speech became more fluid. And at a certain point, the Rebbe stopped. And he asked, they should sing two Nagunim. Because in the Lagani, the Rebbe mentioned each Rebbe by name five times. He said two titers from each Rebbe, two thoughts, one story from each rebbe. A fourth time, he mentioned each name of the, each rebbe's name. And lastly, he sang a niggun of each rebbe, and he wove into the fabric because the maima the nigguns. He stopped twice in the middle of the Maimah. Each time, they sang two niggunim, one from each of the rebbes, and then after they sang two more niggunim, they had the niggunim of all the rebbes. As soon as they finished singing the niggunim, this old man Nenpa pops back up onto the table, and he shouts. He says, "Chesidim, we should thank the Eibush that the Eibush was good enough and he gave us a rebbe, and the rebbe was makabel to nasius." And he says loud and clear with his holy Shema, "Baruch Atah, the Shemul, the Melech HaElohim Shechayyenu veKimonu veYonu Zmanu." And everybody screams out, "Amen!" And the rebbe says to him, he should sit down and relax." <laughs> and the rebbe continued the mime. <laughs> then again, the rebbe stopped. They sang two more Nagunim. and then the, the rebbe continued. When the mime was finished, the rebbe said, "It's the hetzachayyid." Now listen to me, good Jews. And he basically said that nobody should think you've chosen the Rebbe and now you're going to retire. You've chosen the Rebbe and now you're all going to go to work. And the Rebbe says, I was not selected to take over your responsibilities. I was selected to help you. Everybody has a job. Everybody has a shlichus. Everybody has a mandate and a mission from the Rebbe, the Shver, from the Freedic Rebbe. And nobody can do that for you. It's not going to help writing letters, saying l'chaim, and saying yin gun telling stories. This every person's got to do. We have our own piece of this world that we need to work on and this whole is nothing to talk about. The Rebbe said, I'll help you, but I can't do the work for you. Fabergen so finished around 12.30 that night. When the Rebbe left, old Jews with white beards were dancing like kids. The joy was unbelievable. And they reviewed the Maimon. Of course, you guys know about the Maimon. The Maimon talks about the seventh generation and bringing a Mashiach. It's an unbelievable Maimon. A whole night, Wednesday night to Thursday, they reviewed the Maimon. A whole day Thursday, a whole day Thursday. When the Rebbe came to Shul Shabbos, they had reviewed the maybe 20 or 30 times. Each time took an hour. And when the Rebbe arrived in 770, the Rebbe asked how come they don't tell him good news. He heard. He said, how come I only hear the bad news, I don't hear the good news. Now, I just want to give you an idea. Just give you a contrast. The next morning, the Rebbe came to 770 and he went into the for They had these little thin paper them. These thin little sedurim lach. The Rebbe picked it up. He opened up this great page of Kisit and he folded it back like this. The siddur was, was old. And he's holding it in his hand like this. So some Yid, obviously not a Lubavitcher, came into 770 for davening, he sees the Rebbe, the Rebbe was being a long kapata for the first time, you know. But he looks like 25 years old. Take a Sidr, open it and fold it back and hold it like this. He says, Young man, that's not how you hold a Sidr. <laughs> the night before the Rebbe came the Rebbe, he's going to conquer the world. The next day someone tells him, would you behave like a mentioned show?" Sure. you know. It gives you an idea of how small Lubavitch was. Which gives you an idea how unbelievable visionary the Rebbe was. Well, the Rebbe had nothing to work with, no money, no people, no nothing. And he's going to change the world. He's going to bring Mashiach. There was a famous literature Godel who read the Maimir of the Rebbe, and he said, this Meshuggin, convinced himself he's Mashiach. The which was 2,000 people, was nothing. And they were immigrant survivors, our jobs, our professions, without countries. They're going to bring Mashiach. But that's the Rebbe. The Rebbe's vision, the Rebbe's faith, and of course, the Rebbe's skill. That same morning, he came into seven seventy. He went into the office and he told the secretaries, No, no, but that's Got to make new stationery." Because all this time, the Rebbe was using the stationery of the Ba'ystas, the Merkis and Machane. The Rebbe said, "Rebbe, stationery." Mm-hmm. So he said, "Okay, what does the Rebbe want on the stationery?" So the Rebbe said, "You prepare it, and I'll uh, I'll tell you if I'm happy with it." So they took the Friedeke Rebbe stationery, which said "Grand Y of Lubowitz, however it was spelled in those days. Um, you know, Craig, and they just changed the name. And The Rebbe was very not happy with that idea, and he had a bunch of reasons why it's not appropriate. First of all, he was never a Lubavitch, and second, of all, he was not a Rebbe. The Rebbe's tayshia does not say Rebbe on it; it says just the Rebbe's name. Harav That's it. And then the Rebbe didn't let them write even from Lubavitch. If that was never a Lubavitch, it's a lie. So they wrote Lubavitch dash. Lubavitch later on the Rebbe let him put Milubavitch Shabbos the Rebbe Fablend again he said another Maimir. and at this Maimir he mentioned the Bosh and the Mazzish and he said that he only mentioned from the Alter Rebbe in the Basilagani, because when he got married the Friedrich Rebbe only mentioned the Friedrich said earlier generations come to a chassan he only mentioned from the Alter Rebbe so I mentioned only from the Alter Rebbe but I thought about it to the Rebbe and I said you know what why not the the I have a suspicion that the Rebbe was helped in this decision. The Rebbe made a second Maimit, Bashi Rabbeinu Baganim, and he said a tefillah from the and the And starting the next year, Toshnir Alef, 1951- Beis, 1951 to 52, every Bashi bagani the Rebbe would mention the name of each Rebbe, beginning with the Boshntiv, the Magit, and then of course the Rabbeinu Abayim. And more and more recently, the Rebbe also started to mention the Maimadim a teaching from his father's teachings. from are going of his this is the story of becoming a And finally, I'll finish with one last story. That year put with the Fabrenyan, the Rebbe took a lot of mashkeh, the Hasidim took a lot of mashkeh, and the Rebbe started to belittle himself, he started to put himself down. And he said to the older Hasidim, he says, you, you guys are very strong characters, because you saw the Rebbe Rashab, you saw the and Rebbe. you should be crying now. The Rebbe said, he said that when the second base of Midrash was built, the Gemara says that the young people danced and laughed and the old people cried. But they saw the second base of go up but they saw how deficient it was compared to the first even though they were building a house of God they were crying so the Rebbe said to the Eltere Chassidim it's a greatness on your part that you're not even crying so one of the Eltere Hasidim said to the Rebbe "Hasidim don't like this talk we don't want to hear it and so on and the Rebbe kept on saying different things of this sort Rabbi Mentlik you remember Rabbi Mentlik he said he stood to the Rebbe's right he was a rigid Jew. He was stiff, right? He was a big chassid. He was not much a soldier in the rebbe's. And the rebbe keeps on saying, "Oh, he's not a rebbe," and all those other things. So he gets all his chutzpah. He didn't have a chutzpah. The bone in his body. He was the finest man you ever meet, and he got all of his courage together. You know, he girdled himself, and he said, "Es is That's how he spoke. It's emphatically not that way. The rebbe is a rebbe. It says, shall us from the altar rebbe." It's one chain directly from the altar rebbe. And then he got up from his place. He walked over to the Rebbe with his cup. He says, I'm coming to take Lachayim from the altar Rebbe. <laughs> he says to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe gave him. The Rebbe gave him. In any case, that's the story. This is Hashem and said, the says, this is the first part of the fabrication Now you have to talk about, so what does that mean to me and what do I got to do about it? But I'll leave that for Rabbi Time. He's very capable. Okay, okay.